Turn in your New Testaments now to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Colossians 2, chapter verses, rather, 1 through 5. And this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Paul says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all whom I have not met personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may be deceived by sound-finding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how orderly you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. I want to begin today by asking a question. It's a real straightforward question. It's one of those things I think we get in our head, but maybe don't get in our hearts. And that is, do love and confrontation go together? I think we immediately say yes, but I think in our hearts we say we're far from yes, particularly here in the Deep South. We tend to dislike confrontation. We like to smooth things over and not deal with things. And um, really, if you love someone, should you express your concern to those you love? People tend to talk very indirectly in our culture, rarely getting to the actual point of concern And we understand why they do this. Uh, We do it so we can preserve the honor of those people. We help them save face. But is it really to preserve the honor of other people? Or is it to because we don't want to confront? Is it because of our own fear and our own self-preservation, finally, that we, in our love, fall short of actually speaking the truth in love, we're just more comfortable with a kind of gentler, more indirect, more in genteel way of dealing with things. My grandmother on my father's side, we called her Nanny, and I just loved her. She went to be with the Lord about 10 years ago, but we adored her. She was one of those grandmothers that was always doing, you know, for her grandchildren, and she just couldn't do enough. But I want to tell you, she was definitely one of those southern ladies that just did not want to look at anything unpleasant straight on. And, and kind of created an alternate universe in her own home where nobody could talk about anything if it wasn't pleasant. Well, over the years, you can just imagine when there was, where there's no ability to, to actually speak honestly heart to heart that this caused some some issues uh, in the family, and uh, she certainly, you know, wanted to make sure you were never embarrassed or upset. I mean, she was just turbo Southern. I I remember growing up not realizing that that the grocery store wasn't sinful the way they named the chicken parts, uh, because she didn't say, have a thigh. She said, would you like a second joint? Because we don't say thigh. And you know where I'm going with this. She certainly didn't say, I almost feel bad saying it now. I don't know why. Breast. (laughs) 
would you like the pulley bone? And of course, a leg wasn't a leg. What was it? A drumstick. <laughs> exactly. And you get the picture. And, and, and that, as you kind of get the feel of, of, of that home, there's just never any direct confrontation. She's the master of the hint. And you never know what she's quite thinking until she goes off. And then you get reminded of all the hints you didn't take. Enough said about my grandmother, whom I love dearly. But as much as I love my own southern heritage, I'm more interested in my biblical heritage. Newsflash, those aren't always equal. What about you? Do love and confrontation actually go together? Can we express our concern to those we love? Paul teaches us, if you love someone, you must express your concern. In fact, if you love someone, you ought to actually be able to warn them of the danger points that you see in their lives. Psalm 19, all about the Word of God, that the Word sweeter than honey, and keeping these commands, this Word of God, there is great reward, and by them is your servant, what? Warned. So God's own communication to us is so loving that He's actually willing to say what needs to change to keep us out of the ditches that He wants to keep us out of and in the place He wants us to be. The Apostle Paul loved the Gentile churches that he served. Uh, he was the father of many of these churches. Uh, several of them he started himself, right? He would go to these places, start a church, raise up elders, go to another place. Some of them, for instance, Epaphras was the person who started the church in Colossae. Someone would come to know Christ through Paul's preaching ministry and they would go start a church, but he would love them no less. And he says, you know, that basically he has great concern for the church in Colossae and he says in Laodicea and the people that I've never met before because those are churches that he didn't start. But the point is, is that he just loves these churches. And we see in the Apostle Paul a, a willingness to express concern. We see in the Apostle Paul, frankly, his epistles. Do you realize that we would have no books of Paul? We wouldn't have a book of Colossians. We wouldn't have, for, 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 for the, the greatest example is 1 Corinthians. Do you know why Paul's books were written? To correct a problem. Because there's false teaching, there are people going off the beam, and he loves these tender little churches so much, and he's saying, no, that's not the gospel. You're moving outside of grace into works. You're, you're moving outside of submission to the, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God into your own selfishness and, and actualizing in your own ways. And, and he is pleading through these epistles while he's confronting what is going on here. And Paul shows us that it's right to speak the truth in love to the people we love. And he shows us how we can express our concern. There are three points of help for us here today. But the main point is, is if you're going to express your concern to someone you love, Paul wants you to know that, there, you, that Christ needs to be in the middle of that. That that just can't be your upset, that just can't be your anger. That Christ has to be in the middle of it. So, the three things that I want to share with you. The first is to express your concern to somebody. 
You need to be concerned. It needs to be about them and not you. It can't just be what you want to say for reasons of your own selfishness. You actually need to be concerned. You actually need to love them enough to, to come to the point where you can do this hard thing. Now, the Apostle Paul, for all the type A, gung-ho, single-minded, marine-type, church planter, turbo faith that we see willing to be beat up for the gospel. I mean, Paul is one tough guy, is he not? For all of that, that kind of alpha male something or other, you know, faith, you look at Paul, and the other thing that we see is he is so tender. He just loves so deeply. If you read his epistles, he's always saying stuff like this, I never stop praying for you. I constantly think of you. I am concerned about you. And then he literally writes these letters to say, please, I, I can't come there right now, but, but would you listen to me and, and come back to the grace of God, come back to the truth of God. And he pleads, but he, he shares this. And in fact, basically, he travails. For these churches. Look at verse 1. I want you to know how I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those I have not met per, uh, personally. I care about you. I'm struggling for you. The Greek word here, this is a great word, is agona. What's that sound like? Agona. I agonize for you. I'm just in agony. I, I'm in a Roman prison. And I'm praying for you all the time. I'm, I'm very concerned and, and there's some things I need to say. If you're going to express concern, you need to be concerned. And not just manipulative. I remember when Gina and I were married, about a year and a half in, she, uh, she came to me one night. I have permission to tell this, by the way. She came to me one night and uh, said, I, I need to talk to you. And when she, when she says that in a real, like, uh, measured tone, that's bad. That means she's been thinking hard about something. And she's concerned. And she's about to express concern. And so she sat me down on the couch. And you know what she told me? A year and a half into our marriage, she said, Joseph, I love you. I love being married to you. But sometimes I feel like you don't need me. And she went on to say, Joseph, I live with you. I see you flipping and turning in your bed. I, you, you, when are you going to share the deep things with me? You know, the, the, the things that where, where you are just struggling. Joseph, you don't need me. You're holding on to things. It's not good for you to hold on to things. It's not good for our marriage to hold on to things. It took a year and a half for, for that confrontation to come. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll always be grateful that she loved me enough to actually tell me. And I know for a fact, and I knew sitting on that couch, and I knew because of her tone of voice, she wasn't trying to attack me. She was trying to help me. She was agonizing with me. And I was able to see that love and, and to see that concern and open my heart to that. And I am not the king of, of openness to this day. I, I'm not trying to set myself as an example of the of the way it ought to be. But you know what? I'm better than I used to be. And, I, and, and God used it, and I'm very grateful. To, to express concern, you need to be concerned. Paul says, I agonize with you. I'm really concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. 
Secondly, to express concern, you need to show the positive. It can't all just be negative. There has to be positive. There needs to be Christ in the middle of this thing. You know, when Gina talked to me, basically what she was saying was this, Joseph, let me tell you what it can be like. It doesn't have to be this way. I love you. I want to support you. You could be supported. She she was basically opening a window and showing me how wonderful it could be for her to share in my struggles, for, for me to invite her into my depths, the reality of where I live, and to be there with me. And Paul is doing the same thing. You hear, see, he says, I'm, I'm concerned about you, but, but I want to show you the way it can be. Look at verse 2 of our text. Paul says, my purpose, and this just builds and builds. You'll see that. And, and where it ends is in the person of Jesus and the totality of the sufficiency of Christ. So verse 2, look with me, Colossians 2.2, 2, my purpose is that they, meaning the church at Colossae and the Laodicea and those that I've never met, that they may be encouraged in heart and unified in love, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order, see how it's building, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in, in whom all are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul is laying out a vision for what it can look like to walk with Jesus together in His grace. To share life with one another and to have deep fellowship with Christ. He says first that um, it's His purpose to, quote, encourage them in their hearts. The word encouragement here literally means to draw close to another person's side in order to strengthen them. You ever feel like in life you wish somebody would actually draw close to you because they love you and strengthen you? It's a wonderful thing for somebody to care and to draw close. You know, when somebody does that um, to encourage them in their hearts, when somebody does that, what you realize is this. Wow, they've actually paid attention to my life. They actually are concerned because they have focused on some deficits and some difficulties and some potential dangers in my life. So they're pulling in here not just to throw down on me, but they're pulling in here because they are concerned and they have actually seen, you see, and they're coming alongside with the purpose of strengthening. He says, I want to encourage them that they might be encouraged in their hearts. Secondly, strengthen through unity. Verse 2, my purpose is they may be encouraged in their heart, united in love, and it just means knit together. He says, you know, in Christ, we not only have Him, we have one another, and we weren't built to live alone. And he's about to say, stay away from the false teachers, because they're going to destroy not only your relationship with God, but they're going to threaten the unity of this love, the incredible thing that we need. We need one another. And it's a lonely time in modern America. Never have so many people brushed shoulders with so many people and been so lonely. And he says, I I want you to be strengthened through unity, unified in love. The third thing is, he says, "I, I want you to be strengthened through shared convictions. 
Because it's not just that we can love one another, it's that we believe together the gospel. That we have shared convictions. Verse 2, that they may have, listen to these words, the full riches of complete understanding. That there may be agreement of what the real deal is. In fact, the word for complete understanding here signifies a deeply held conviction. It's, it's a full assurance from something you hold dear. You know, what we have here in this church is, is a, an extension of the apostolic church where God gave the word through the apostles, the foundations the apostles have laid that we want to have that church, that gospel, the, the same shared convictions that Paul wanted the Colossians to have, the same shared convictions that we see in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes down and, and the church begins to rise up. The false teachers are trying to erode their convictions. The false teachers are trying to divide the church and put the emphasis on the teachers rather than Jesus and rather than the body. But then is kind of where it all goes. And it all comes to Christ needs to be in the middle of what we talk to people about. He needs to be the goal of where we try to lead people. He says he wants them strengthened through the sufficiency of Christ. Look at verse 2. In order that they may know the mystery of God who is Christ in whom are hidden, hear these words, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. You know what the false teachers were saying? The false teachers were saying in Colossae, Paul's away from them. Oh yeah, Jesus is great. Kind of like what you hear today. Jesus is a wonderful teacher. We love Jesus. That's all fine and good. But, but you know, that's not all of it, of course. I mean, we know the secret keys. There's, there's things beyond God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Surely there's something beyond this grace of God in the cross. And I'm going to tell you, there are secret tunnels that lead to the mother load of spiritual knowledge and wisdom. If you'll just turn away from all that Christ-only stuff that Paul talks about and follow us through the secret tunnels, we will lead you to the mystical wonders. And there is so much mysticism in our culture today. And Christians are even very tempted walking through Barnes & Noble being on the internet, whatever, to go, and man, there must, must be another way. And there are thousands, millions of people who got all kind of very works-oriented ways just to do a little more, to, to add something to Jesus, and you never quite get there, and you never rest. Because it's not God become man for us, God accomplishing everything that's needed on the cross so that we can say with Jesus, it is finished so that we can rest in the love of God that can never be threatened ever again and begin to live out of this grace in which we now stand. Paul is saying this is the way it can be. You see, the mystery is Jesus. The mystery, he's talking about the prophecy, things that were hidden. If you look at Colossians 1, 26 and 27, of what is hidden throughout ages and generations has now been made known, that mystery is Jesus. That there's been something hidden 
that is suddenly revealed and it's undiscoverable unless it's simply revealed to you. You can't intuit it from our position as humans. God has revealed. And as Christ is sent into the world, as Christ has gone to the cross, as He has risen from the dead, and what that means to us. The word mystery does have to do with prophecy, but it's one of the primary words of the false teachers. You see, they would say, hey, this is a mystery. We've got the secret key. Notice what Paul says in this text. Paul says, in order that you may know the mystery of God, who is Christ. He is the meaning of life. A life that is resting in Him. A life that has the Holy Spirit because holy God can never be approached by sinful man. So God has come to do it for us to lead us into the very arms of God. It is not something we have accomplished. Therefore, we cannot be arrogant about it. Only grateful. Only filled with love. He is the missing key. Jesus. He's the doorway and He's the prize. And there is no higher spiritual insight under heaven and in heaven other than the mystery revealed, which is God became a man, died on a cross and rose again so that we could have union with God forever and live in grace rather than living by fear or works or never feeling like we can do enough for God to be happy with us. William Hendrickson put it this way. He said, The heart of all Christian ministry is to be an instrument in God's hand to bring the hearts of people to the heart of Christ. Here's how it can be. Your heart can rest in the love of God that is unshakable. Your heart can rest in God's grace that will never go away. Your heart can rest in the belief that God's truth is true. And that you can count on His Word and His promises are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That God has got this thing from this moment all the way through the eternity that He has already prepared for those who have given up their quest and their arrogance and simply humbly come to accept the mystery who is Jesus. So Paul is concerned, right? I, I, I agonize with you. Paul lays out the positive. Here's the way it can be in Christ. But finally, to express concern, you need to express the specific concern. You need to get around to actually in love saying what it is with grace, love, and humility. If you love people, you will not simply encourage them. You will encourage them. Paul said, I want your hearts to be encouraged. If you love them, you will warn them. God's Word does that with us. I know it's not popular in a world that's supposed to be one big tolerant group hug where no one is ever supposed to come to any firm moral convictions anymore. And certainly you wouldn't come to a firm moral conviction and press it down on another person. But we must. And we must warn the people we love about how, where their life is going or seems to be going can hurt them 
and hurt the people they love and hurt the redeemed community called the church. I will never forget the story that I was told when I came here to seminary. Uh, There was a guy who was teaching a pastoral ethics class. And this is dramatic. I'm kind of glad I wasn't there. I probably would have, like, gasped. So he strode into class. This is a big blackboard at that time, not whiteboard. This is back in the 80s. He strode into class. He grabbed the chalk. And he just slammed a, a vertical line. You can almost hear when somebody's... I mean, it almost broke the chalk. You know, chalk dust coming off. Right down the middle. He turns, looks at just one line on the middle. And then he walks over to this side of the line. He just starts furiously writing. I mean, he, he's like angry almost. And he's writing stuff like a loving relationship with your wife and your children growing up in the Lord. And he's... He's writing a ministry that is all about Christ and reaching your community and the respect of God's people and a good report in the, in the community and all. And he's just writing and writing and writing all the benefits and the wonder of, of living in the gospel as a pastor, that is, and, and just what that looks like. He looks back. It's all there. I mean, you can't even hardly put anything else on the board. He spins on his heel. He strides over to the other side and he writes one sentence. 30 minutes with a prostitute. Slams the desk. He says, men, this is what I yearn for you to have. This is what you can be yours in the grace of God. You've got to be a Christian before you're a pastor. He said, men... You will trade all of that if you move over onto the other side of the board. He said, I'm leaving now, and I want you to stare at this for the next 45 minutes. And he walked out. I mean, this is dramatic, isn't it? What a jerk, right? No. That man loved his preacher boys, as we call them. He loved his preacher boys enough to tell them the truth, enough to warn them about it. And it's the same with Paul. You see what Paul, look at verse 4. He says, I'm agonizing with you. And then he gets like this, this up and over, how, how great it can be in the fullness of this and the that and the other. And it gets to the mystery that you have and all the knowledge, all the, the wisdom, all the fullness is yours. And then he says in verse 4, I tell you this so that, here's the reason I just told you that, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I mean, Paul gets pointed. These false teachers in Colossae will not lead you closer to God. They are dispensing detours from God Do not exchange demonstrated fact, revealed truth in the fullness of Christ for their spiritual mumbo-jumbo. You'll get pulled away from the truth. They'll starve you spiritually. And you'll be wrecked. And the church will be divided. Don't listen to these men. Jesus said something almost identical in Matthew 15, 14. Jesus wasn't very politically correct either, I guess. He was talking about the Pharisees and their false teachers' teachings 
in Matthew 15, 14. You know what he said to the Pharisees? Leave them. About the Pharisees, leave them. They are blind guides. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Leave them. They are blind guides. Fine-sounding arguments translated smooth talk. Fast talk. Get away from them. Get them out. Because the gospel itself, is on, they add to the gospel. They'll put you in a place of fear and works and never... They say there's more and you'll never get enough. You'll never rest again in the sight of God. Get them out. Now look, can I just back up for a second? He's not talking about the public square. In Acts chapter 17, Paul went up on Mars Hill where the philosophers of the day spun out their philosophy. We need to run toward people of other beliefs and other philosophies toward them in the public square. We need to listen humbly lovingly we do not need to bring invective or anger we need to have polite and civil discourse with people of any thought in the public square this is in the church this is in the lives of the people that he loves you see the difference get them out stay away from them We leave this passage with Paul reassuring them. That's the last thing we need to do when we speak the truth in love to somebody. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You see, he's not saying you've lost it. He's saying don't go there. I'm with you. I'm here for you. Let me go back to the last, that first question and then we'll, we'll go to this table. It's all about God become a man for our salvation. All about our tremendous resting in grace and, and, and living vigorously out of that grace for the glory of God by faith. Do love and confrontation go together? Do they? If you love someone, should you be able to express your concerns to them? Yes, Paul says. But only if Christ is in the middle of it. Let's pray. Lord, would you just put Christ, His death and resurrection, the gospel, the grace of God in the middle of our lives as the ground of who we are and what we do. Would you give us love to match our truth, humility to match our zeal? Lord, thank you that the word arrogant Christian is an oxymoron because we did nothing and you did it all. And Lord, we know that the gospel itself is confrontational because of our sin. But we thank you for what you have done and the, the words, the truth of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless Christ alone. Christ alone. As we move to the table that is about Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.